0: This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give the show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. So we can remember where we're at. Songs of the season, songs of the season, looking at the hymns in Luke 1 and 2. Now, last week we examined the beginning of Luke 1. We looked at half of that huge, huge chapter, 80 verses, uh, which we will finish today. We were introduced to a family consisting of of old baron Elizabeth and her priestly husband Zechariah, whom were chosen by God and spoken to by Gabriel, an angel, as being the parents of the greatest prophet of all time, John the Baptist. We were also introduced to their young relative, a girl named Mary or Miriam, a a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph who was also chosen by God and spoken to by that same angel to inform her of her favored status before God. And her favored status was this, that she would carry in her womb the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We then looked at Mary's hymn of praise that she sang when she went to see Elizabeth and we were moved to awe and wonder at how the entire song was nothing but Scripture sang back unto the Lord. So this is our concerto so far. Now last week I opened by telling that all music, all music has a message. Music in some way teaches something. And speaking of all music having a message, and by way of introduction, I will do another poll. Last week, I polled the audience like we're on it's, have the millionaire show, right? Whatever that was back in the day. Um, and we said, how many of you have ever been to a concert? And I think everybody raised their hand. Here's the poll. How many of you have ever heard of musical secret messages? All right, about half, about half. All right. I know of two of them. All right. I'll fill you in. I know of two. Number one was if you listen to uh, the song Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin like backwards, it was some satanic something. All right. I don't really think that's true. I think that's a, just a little fable. But the, se- the second one, a second one is this is mind boggling. If you start the film, The Wizard of Oz, and the album Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, like at the exact same time, they match up to the point where the Wicked Witch is like kind of fiddling on her broomstick, and it's the perfect, it's exactly where a guitar solo is. All right? And I think this one's true because your wonderful taxpayer dollars taught me this in high school. We watched this. I think this one it holds some weight, okay? This one's true. Nevertheless, today, we're going to be examining the song of a man who had a hymn of praise shut up inside of him for nine months. Nine grueling long months. Just as the miracle baby grew in his old wife's womb, so too this miraculous song grew within the heart of Zechariah. This song was a, a secret, secret musical song etched upon the wavelengths of Zechariah's heart that when God chose belted forth. But the thing about Zechariah's song is this. There's nothing to listen to backwards. There's nothing to decode. The song of Zechariah this morning is straightforward, and it is blessed. Blessed. Remember that word. The secret song of Zechariah's heart did not remain secret for long. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and we will be in verses 1 through 57 this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. We're going to finish her out. Hear the living word of God for you this morning. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately... His mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the land of the Lord, for the hand of the Lord was with him. And in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the Spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thus says the living Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear, that it is authoritative, and that it cuts right to the point. Lord, you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Would our hearts be um, fertile before you to receive the implanted word? Would you guide us along by the same Holy Spirit who breathed out the very scriptures we seek to examine and to live our lives by? God, would you grant repentance this morning? Would you grant salvation and would you grant sanctification for your people? Would we glorify You and shine like this sunrise, the light of Your Son. We pray this in His name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we come to verse 57, we see that the time has come for John to be born. And boy, let me tell you, this text is relative to my family because it's just about time for us to be in that hospital room having a baby too. So remember... It is most likely, according to the context here, that Mary was at this event, given that Luke tells us uh, th- this info in Luke 1:56. Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary arrived, and Mary stayed for three months. How long does gestation? Nine months? All right. Most likely that she was there for the birth of young John. The whole neighborhood, the whole neighborhood has watched the miraculous. Hand of God touch Elizabeth, removing this barrenness. They unknowingly, though, have watched the miraculous hand of God touch this young Mary in their home too. Yet if Mary were showing at three months, and she could have, some may have attributed this holy baby bump to unholy harlotry. See, we need to be quick to listen Slow to speak because our ways are not his ways. Things do not always appear to be as they truly are. The whole neighborhood has gathered to rejoice with Elizabeth. The birth of a child is a glorious occasion. This is what Scripture presents children as. They're not burdens and little demons. They're glorious. They're wonderful occasions. They are uh, arrows in the quiver that we should rejoice in. We are called still in Scripture to, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And what better insight is there than here into how we should receive and react to children. Amen? A community of excitement. And by God's delight, we get to do that twice so far in 2023, maybe 2022. Have a little might eat herself out there at the end and give us that good tax break for next year. We need that. Amen. With with Morgan and and Ashley. And I pray that there are more wonderful arrows, beautiful children to come out of this group. The family of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous and holy. They were godly. And they loved the Lord their God. We see this in that not only does the Scripture describe them as that, but we see them doing two things here before Zechariah's tongue is loosed. Two things in accordance with the Scriptures. And one one of them is actually a custom. But the first one is this. They were going to dedicate and circumcise John on the eighth day, which meant that he was going to be a part of the covenant community of Israel. He was brought into that family. They were following the Lord's command. That's Leviticus 12.3. The family was following God's loving ordinances. And the second was this, they were going to give him a family name. They weren't just gonna you know, go on the internet and go to a baby name generator and come up with something cutesy. Oh, that's so sweet. No, they were going to carry on a legacy because our families are legacies. This was tradition. Usually a child was named after a grandparent, but since Zechariah was mute, they were going to settle for, for Zach. I think that's a great name. Right? And Ronnie and Tina Hill back in 92 thought it was pretty good too. Right? I think that's a great name. But to the dismay of the neighborhood and family, Elizabeth says, No, you're not going to call him Zachariah. You're going to call him John. His name is John. Elizabeth, that's not a family name, but Zachariah had been able to write and convey to Elizabeth what had happened to him and his experience when he was burning incense in the temple. And he was able to tell her before the time had come that the child's name would be John. Plus, with Mary being there in their house, knowing what Zechariah had went through, I'm sure he had some way figured out how to write down, this is what I saw. There's an angel, his name is Gabriel, and he said this. Right? Mary would have said... I had something like that happen to me as the same angel. Three of them at least, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary, knew what was going on. Three people in this whole crowd, they were the ones that knew what was going on, what God had chosen to do, and that they were a part of it. See, this was establishing a group of two to three witnesses like Deuteronomy talks about when bringing a case before the law courts. In verse 65 We see that on the day John was brought into the covenant community, Zechariah's muteness left him. God lifted that judgment upon him. This is exactly what Gabriel, the angel, said would happen. You will not be able to speak until that day when this is fulfilled. I I can only imagine Zechariah for these nine long months of silence meditated upon a scripture like Exodus 4.11. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it a, not I, the Lord? This man, esteemed by many, had sat silenced in his judgment for unbelief for almost an entire year. Everyone knew it. Many probably wrote it off as a physical problem, like, oh yeah, okay, sure, you saw an angel. Elizabeth, don't feed into that. Poor thing, he... He's had a stroke. Don't listen to him. right? He's, he's just making it up. But then, but then, when everything came to pass, just as Zechariah had conveyed that it would, his tongue was set free, and like a former prophet of the same name, Zechariah, which means the Lord remembers, himself declared what God had promised. Zechariah was fulfilling his, his namesake, causing others by his praise to remember what God had promised would come to pass. When this happens, fear, reverence falls upon the neighborhood that was gathered. He wasn't lying. Neither was Elizabeth. Maybe that young girl Mary isn't either everyone began to realize the hand of the lord was upon this family and upon this child john and yet they truly had no idea no inkling of doubt that the uh, no inkling of understanding that the hand of the lord the hand of the lord was forming a real hand with fingers and feet with toes and a spine and organs for himself and the young virgin girl in the same house the hand of the Lord was becoming flesh to tabernacle and walk among us. John 1.14 The first words out of Zechariah's mouth after this time of silence is surprising. It's not what we think it would be. right? It's not, oh, finally! Ah, like making all these sounds because he hasn't been able to do anything. Or, wow, that was kind of gross watching that. Or, this is what most guys would do. I told you, look, see, I told you. He said I was going to be silent, but now I'm not, I told you. I told you. No, that's not what he says. The first word out of his mouth in the original language in the Greek here that it's written in is eulogetos, which is one of the Greek words for blessed or praise be, and that's where we get the word eulogy. The Latin translation, the Vulgate, the Latin translation of the original Greek text here has that first word, blessed, as this word, benedictus. Benedictus. And that is traditionally what this song is called. In your Bible, you may even have a heading that says, the benedictus. This is also where we get the word benediction, to bless someone. To bless someone. Zachariah's benedictus hymn begins in Luke one sixty-eight. The Lord remembers. So, O house of Israel, remember what has been promised unto thee, for his promises are finding their fulfillment in our midst. This is the song of Zechariah. So, here with Zach, before we go for it, is one of those parallels like I talked about last week. Last week, young, mostly uneducated peasant, young Mary, speaks forth a song full of nothing but scripture and here this week highly educated Zechariah speaking forth a song full of you guessed it scripture there are about as many references to scripture in Zechariah's hymn as there were in Mary's you know, between, between 10 and 12 but I'm not going to walk through each of those today like we did last week that's your homework to cross reference all of these uh, different passages in Zechariah's song and I'll grade you next week bring your homework with you let's look at the content of Zechariah's hymn, line by line, beginning in verse 68. Hear this Spirit-inspired sonata. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. In this opening line, there is more theology and theological truth than every single Caleb song ever written combined. Right? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. There is only one God. He is the God of all the universe. The Lord of all the earth. He comes to sinful and rebellious men all throughout Scripture like Abel and Enoch and Noah. He comes to a pagan man named Abram and through him establishes what would be the nation of Israel. The Lord God is sovereign. He rules and He reigns in His world because this is His world. Psalm 24. All other false gods are vapors, breath, false, demonic. And what has this one true living God done? He has visited and redeemed His people. He's not stood far off watching over sinful, rebellious man and saying, okay, all right, yeah, I'll save you, but here's the, here's the rules. Here's the game you got to play. Here's the loops and the hoops you got to jump through. And if you make it to the end, maybe you can pass go and collect your $200. No. Philip Ryken, scholar, says this, salvation is not a human invention, but a divine visitation. It is not something we achieve by going to God, but something God has done by coming to us. Amen. He has come to His people and redeemed them. He has has initiated the restoration of Eden. Man and God reunited. Man and world saved from sin and death and hell and Satan. How? How has He done this? Next line, verses 69 and 70. And raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke spoke by uh, the mouth of the prophets of old. The Lord remembers, so you remember. The Lord remembers, so you remember. This prophecy... Is fulfilled in that hearing. It's a prophecy from Psalm 132 and Ezekiel 29, talking about the horn, the horn of salvation. The horn here is significant, and we think about a horn is on a male animal, and they're on Norwals because Norwals are real, and my wife thinks that they're not, but they are. They're real, Morgan. A horn on a male animal. Think of like a ram. or a a big old deer, right? The horn is that animal's defense. That horn, those antlers, are where the power of that animal lies. Old Zechariah here is saying that the horn, the power, has sprouted upon the head of David, meaning David is not the one defending here, but that horn that is coming out of his head who's that horn Jesus Christ Notice also that it is God who has raised up this salvation horn for his people They did not do anything but continue on in their sin It was and always is God who pursues to save It is God raising up that horn of salvation Verse 71 that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Is what Zach saying here political in nature? Sure. Yeah, it can be. We see in, in Psalm thirty-three, twelve: this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Would that be one day our call again and our cry? He's not saving us from our enemies right now. He's giving us over to them. Would it be that our nation would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and be blessed. But it's not merely political. The saving from enemies and foes in the physical and at the political level come from the foundation of individual units, individual lives, being called unto salvation and living by the standard of God's Word, being holy. Holy. When salvation comes to a person, when salvation comes to a people and they live in a righteous manner, in a righteous manner, the enemies and foes that are overthrown are Satan, that person's own flesh that wants to rebel and be sinful, and the powers that be, such as, like Ephesians calls, thrones and dominions, powers and principalities, these supernatural beings who may be and very many times are influencing natural beings, People in power, all of them, all of these enemies by God's design are crushed under the, nail, uh, the, the, the nail, nailed feet of Jesus as it continues to be trampled upon by the resurrected feet of Jesus in his church. That's Romans 16. But here's another question. Why save his people from his, their enemies? Why do this? Is it because his people deserve it? No, of course not. And that's what verses 72 through 73 teach us this morning. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. that He swore an oath to our father Abraham. Stop right there. God is doing what He is doing in the lifetime of Zechariah because God keeps His promises. We don't. Every single one of us in here has broken a promise, and most likely we've done that this week. See, God promised Eve right after the fall that there would come one from her that would crush the head of the serpent. God promised Abraham that there would be one from him that would save his people. God promised David that there would be one from his loins that would sit upon his throne forever and ever to rule and reign. And Daniel saw one like a son of man, one like us, coming before the ancient of days, the Father, to rule with him equally. God made all these promises and many more. And every time his people, the very people he makes these promises to, they rebel against him and yet he continues to have mercy and steadfast love for his people to the praise of his glorious grace what god is like our god none god made all these promises end of 73 through 75 to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. This visiting of God that results in the raising up of salvation and the redemption of His people and the deliverance from their enemies is not a cheap, excuse me, cheap grace salvation like we so often hear about today in the church. Many will say today, "Oh yes, I believe by that we are saved by right here." Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And there's nothing we can do to be separated from the love of God. I'm not perfect. I love the Lord. And they say this many times, many will say this as an excuse to sin. They treat the salvation of God as fire insurance. They say the right thing like a child before Santa, right? To get the gift they think that they want. So often this is the heart of man. But listen to what Zechariah's song teaches us. It's quite the opposite. To those whom God saves, they serve the Lord without fear. Now, this may seem contradictory because Proverbs consistently tells us what? The fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge and wisdom. But the fear that is spoken of here is fear of judgment or sin or punishment, failure, these types of things. The salvation of the Lord causes people to live completely differently. Not for a little bit, not for a couple days, not for a few months, but forever. His redeemed people change progressively. It takes time. It's not overnight. It's like a snowball that keeps picking up steam, and I pray that would be your life, but it is permanent. They serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness forever. They desire to be set apart differently living by the standard of God's Word, and they desire themselves and their families to be righteous before Him. It is not a burden to live for the Lord. It is a yearning to live as they are meant to live in response to God saving them. We hear so often, oh, it's so hard being a Christian. How? How? Because we're persecuted? We're not persecuted. We still live in the freest land on earth. We have no idea what persecution really is. It's so hard being a Christian. Why? Because you don't want to be holy? Because you think that you can have it both ways? We are called to a different standard. And it's not so we can walk around with the scarlet letter upon us looking different from everyone's. Oh, look at those weirdos. No, we walk around with the light of the world beaming out of us. We are called to be different. We are not called to be light and darkness at the same time. We're called to be a giant... Light bulb of the Lord. Verse 76. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. Notice that the entire song thus far has been praise to God and praise for what God is bringing to pass. It has been the outworking of Zechariah's name. The Lord remembers. You would think that Zechariah, who had wanted this child for so long, would first thank God for letting this child be born unto him and his wife so graciously, yet he focuses completely upon the bigger picture of what God is doing and how God has remembered. In verse 76, Zechariah turns to his child, his newborn son, and declares that John has been created for a special task. And his task is to be the greatest prophet given among men next to the Lord Himself. And what will John do? Rest of verse 76 through 79. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people, and the forgiveness of their sins, because the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Hear what Zechariah is saying about his own child. Don't miss this. Zechariah's praise and thankfulness for this longed-for child, now actualized child, isn't even about the child. It's not, God, thank you so much. I've wanted this child. It's not even about him. It's what this child will do in the plan of salvation. Zechariah knows. Zechariah has remembered, both from his learnedness of the Scriptures and no doubt by the Holy Spirit guiding him along in this moment, that his son is the fulfillment of the last two prophecies of Malachi, the last prophecies of the Old Testament, which is the language he uses. Hear these. Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And in Malachi 4.2, But for you who fear my name, there's that fear again, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Zechariah is rightfully overwhelmed with joy and in awe of the fact that God has providentially chosen his family to be this involved in salvation history. He focuses in on the fact that his son will be the privileged one to prepare the way of the Savior giving knowledge of the time at hand, revealing true forgiveness for sins, all based upon the gracious mercy of God who has caused the sunrise of righteousness to dawn in His Son. How does the sun of the sun dawn? On some far off horizon? Can't see it? Maybe it's a spiritual dawning? No. By the sun dawning in His own creation. We see in verse 78 that sunrise isn't often space, but the sunrise visits the people from on high. Alright, hold on. Time out. One second. Hold on. I think we have this little bookend here again, like I talked about last week. Back in verse 68, Zechariah is saying, God has visited and redeemed His people. Verse seventy-eight, seventy-nine. we see the sunrise has visited the people from on high, giving them light to those who are in darkness and the shadow of death to guide their feet into the way of peace, Isaiah 9. Are you picking up what, what Zechariah is laying down? Are you picking that up? This light, this sunrise, is God Himself. It's God Himself. Not a representative, not a chosen man, not a politician, not a sinful man who becomes godly, but God Himself coming down. God Himself coming down. The Son of Righteousness. S-U-N in the S-O-N. And what did Jesus say that He was? The light of the world. Proverbs 4.18, one of my favorite Proverbs, says this, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until fullness of day. The true light of righteousness had dawned. It had cracked the horizon, not in a king's court, but in an earthly manger. It would rise higher and higher until so the fullness of day would become as black as night as Jesus hang upon the cross for our salvation. Amen? Luke concludes this chapter by saying John grew up and was out in the wilderness until the days of his appearance. Now, Many debate what that means. Some think that John was a part of this this sectarian group called the Essenes in a place called the Qumran community, which he fits the bill quite well. It was a community of people who were kind of like the, the version of QAnon back in the day, high-level conspiracy theorists. They lived out by themselves, did a lot of ritual washings. They lived in the desert, very aesthetic. They would, you know, just eat certain things. All of this, John fits the bill. Maybe he was. Don't know. But you know what the Essenes of the Qumran community gave us? The greatest discovery of the 20th century, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which all the more confirm the veracity and truth of the Bible. All right. Song over for you old ones. Record done, tape done, eight track, pops out, stream finished, now what? Next track, let's go on. No, hold on. Of course not. What are we to do with this song? We aren't Zechariah. We aren't awaiting a Savior. Indeed not, He has come. John is dead and gone and fulfilled His divine mission. So should our hearts still sing this glorious tune unto the Lord? You better believe it. Let's have another hearing of this spectacular symphony and apply it to our hearts that it would be our song. Firstly, is your hope in the one true God who comes to save those who do not even know that they are lost and who defeats their enemies. Is this your hope? Is your hope in the God of all faithfulness who upholds all of reality by His Word and never breaks or forgets His promises? All that He has spoken will come to pass. You can rest assured in His promises for His words They are pure words like silver refined in a furnace seven times. Psalm 12, 6. He has defeated the enemy by visiting his people in his son, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, and ransomed us. The world, our fleshly desire of sin, and oh yes, Satan himself have been crushed by the perfect life, the perfect death the perfect burial, the perfect resurrection, the perfect ascension of Jesus Christ. And all of this will be perfectly actualized at His perfect second coming. Church, you must rest upon, you must meditate upon and speak forth in song and in praise joyously the promises of God. Why? Because Zechariah hoped in what we now know. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians one twenty. Look unto the child in the manger who is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Psalm 110 The promise has come to pass. The promised light, the promised peace, the promised way, the promised life, the promised Savior, He has come. Do you know this? Today you do. Today I urge you, do not be faithless like Zechariah once was. Do not walk about your life being self-mute or self-deaf in your sin. Believe this has come to pass, for it has. Secondly, believer, do you serve Him in holiness and righteousness? Do you bring before the King, no longer lowborn but ascended on high, gifts of holy and righteous living for His glory and honor and your benefit. Romans 12. Oh, you must, and I pray that you do. Do you long to raise your children in the same manner Zechariah longed to raise John in the fear of the Lord that John would fulfill a purpose for the kingdom of God? Do you realize, dear parents and grandparents and those that are connected or over a child in some way, do you realize this? That God has given you your children as a gift to steward for Him and and He uses the ordinary means of righteous parents in saving their children. Do you realize this? Teach them from birth the Scriptures. Call them to be holy as God is holy. Live a righteous example for them. Pray over them with thanksgiving. Pray for them that God would use them for His kingdom till kingdom come. Amen? We must do this. Remember, it wasn't just Zechariah and Elizabeth who were there for the birth of John. It was an entire community. The old adage of it takes a village to raise a child... That is true. Would we as the community of God, His people, pour into each of our young, uh, young people, our children, helping bear one another's burdens and lifting them up? Because you know what? I may be able, to be able to pour something into your children. I may be able to teach your sons theology and help your daughters grow in holiness. But you know what I'm not the best at? Hunting. But Jacob Murphy is. And he can teach you something. He can teach our kids those things. We have men and women of God who are examples for our children. Raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord all the days of your life. Thirdly, would you be like Zechariah? Dear Saint, would you be like Zechariah? Would you meditate on the words of God? Would you have a righteous muteness? One that hears and is slow to speak, meditating upon God's Word, and then bursting forth with, with praise. Would you meditate upon God's Word, the Scriptures, to remember what He has done, Psalm 119, what He is doing, Psalm 119, and what He will bring to pass, Psalm 119. This, this is the song of Zacharias still echoing within the mouths of God's people from Zechariah's day until now and until kingdom come. Oh, that we, the church, would joyfully run to the Scriptures, that we would kill our sin by the Spirit, and that we would serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness, so that all walking in darkness would see the blinding light of the Gospel that the King has come. Amen. My friend, if you hear His voice today, harden not your heart, because He may strike you with what you desire most, deafness and muteness. To live in your own world in your own world will not last, for your own world is simply a borrowed perversion of His. Will we come before the throne of grace with confidence and boldness because the manger has become a throne? Will we repent of our sins? Will we declare what God has done and what He will do because salvation has come? And the salvation has come. And we can resound and say with even more joy and thanksgiving than Zechariah ever dreamed of, Blessed be, yes, benedictus, praise be unto the Lord God. There is no secret message. There's no decoding. There's no listening to anything backward. The message of this song sounds forth clear. Salvation has come to us. The sun of righteousness has dawned all when we least expected it. God has saved a people who so often did not want saving. No, they don't. What a glorious grace. What wondrous works of God. Would you rejoice in Him with thanksgiving? Would you rejoice in Him with joy? And would you thank Him for His great love that He loved us first? We did not love Him. Would our song be this? Blessed be, Benedictus, praise be, and to the Lord God, would we remember always to praise this way. Grace and peace to you, let's pray. Amen.